Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Well, this week, I'm not the one doing the interviewing. I'm the one actually being interviewed. And I was interviewed by Mark Bunn for his podcast called Ancient Wisdom for Modern Health. And the information that uh, we shared was so valuable, I thought that I would share it with our community. And it was the first time that I'd been interviewed by Mark. And he wanted me to download some of the principles and the secrets for our success in my business, MSA National, because we did something in 2015 that took us from number four in our industry to number one, and we have stayed there. So in this podcast, I share with him the principles that I shared at Upgrade Your Life, and that is the two frameworks for um, uh, that constitute the blueprint for life and business strategy, and that is the holistic living framework and the conscious living framework, but more importantly, how they apply not just in life, but in business and how you can leverage those two principles to boost your customer experience, boost your innovation, your creativity, and the happiness of your workforce. So I thoroughly enjoyed this. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Mark Bunn. Hello, everybody. Well, if you have been listening to my podcast for any length of time, you'll have heard the name Sam McCool and upgrade your life many, many times. I think I've mentioned it about five times already just on the podcast. So today, I'm extremely excited because we have the amazing man himself with us, and he's going to talk about a higher branch, just the whole holistic area of wellness, and particularly how we translate that into business life today and workplace wellness. It's absolutely a fascinating insight. And I have to say that Sam, who I met about two years ago, um, is now one of my dearest friends and someone I've been wanting to have on the podcast because he is about what the podcast is about. It's wisdom and it's about a higher level of wisdom, not just ancient wisdom necessarily, but even modern day wisdom and how we can put our life in a framework that we can live a really fulfilling life. Because I think many of us get caught up in individual branches of life. You know, we focus on wealth or we focus on the family or, you know, we study for a period of time. But what Sam's going to explain is how we can really cultivate a, a truly holistic way of living. And then we're going to dive into how we can apply that to our workplaces, which, you know, have a very sometimes a superficial look at workplace wellness. So Sam McCall, welcome to the podcast. Mark, it's a pleasure to be here. And for everyone listening, hello, and I look forward to spending the next hour with you. Fantastic. Well, Sam, we have a little tradition on my podcast that we ask the, the hardest question first. So this needs a bit of background because for my listeners, Sam is actually a founder of MSA National. It's a national law company specialised in mortgage brokerage industry, has about 300 plus employees. So he is a busy, busy businessman. So everything we're going to talk about today, or a lot of it, in the wellness space, and he's written a book on wellness, a higher branch. Um, he has a beautiful wife, Katrina, fantastic kids, and he does so many things, charitable things. Um, it's amazing how you do it all, Sam. So the first question is, how do you get the energy and the time to uh, do all the amazing things that you do in life? Well, I, I value energy. Uh, I think energy is the number one currency for the 21st century. Most people are still stuck in the old paradigm of, you know, time and money are your two most valuable resources. But we all have the same 24 hours in the day. So the distinction between us can only be our energy levels. Because what I've noticed is that people who have high energy can get more done in less time, uh, more sustainably. And for me, what I've realized over the years and what I teach my family and my friends and my leadership team here at MSA National is that the best way to boost your energy levels, and when I say, when I say energy levels here, I mean, I, I'm also referring to your life force. And your life force is made up not just of the physical energy that most people think we're talking about, but your mental, emotional, and spiritual energy. And the best way to boost 
your life force, which is made up of those four energies, is to live a holistic life. And so that's certainly been my strategy in life. That's certainly been my strategy in business as well. I mean, we're a banking and finance law firm, but I can tell you, we spend most of our time training our staff not on banking and finance law. They, they know that. You know, information is everywhere these days. But we teach them how to live a holistic life. We teach them how to manage their energy levels. Because you've seen energetic people in the room, Mark. They're the most enthusiastic. They're full of confidence. And we, we tend to build a connection with people like that, you know, very quickly. Yes. But energy is really misunderstood. It's, you know, everyone thinks that energy comes down, you know, to uh, nutrition, exercise and sleep. But those three things can you know, uh, give you the fuel, it can be the energy pipe coming in uh, to your life force. But if you don't get your mental and emotional energy right, then that could be the type of the pipe that's leaking the energy out the back door, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you, know, uh, you, can, you can go for a decade or two eating unhealthy, right? Not exercising before it will impact your energy levels. You know, I, I know some, you know, jolly <laughs> happy people in my life who just... Who will go to the footy, eat a pie, drink beer, and they're the happiest people. Like <laughs> but try and try and go for just two weeks with anxiety or depression. It will yeah. wreck you. It will wreck yeah. you. Yeah, beautiful. And that's why I love the the symmetry, I guess, with our messages, because that that's exactly what uh, I believe, and it, it actually leads in beautifully to this idea of the higher branch. You know, so when we met, you sent me your book which I absolutely loved. And uh, I love any analogy with a, a tree and it's part of your logo for a higher branch. But can you start to unpack, yeah, unpack what you've just discussed in terms of holistic, in terms of how you came about this whole process? Because you're, you know, you're a lawyer, a successful businessman, and now you've got this whole world of wellness that you're into and, you know, introduce the eight branches and what they are and how we need to sort of nourish and water all of those branches to live a holistic life yeah absolutely for me life and business are the same thing so i believe that we have uh and this is my framework you would have uh, remembered i shared how i actually discovered this framework but when i shared two defining moments at upgrade your life and i'm not going to go into those two defining moments because they're quite emotional as well but it wasn't a self-indulgent talk from the stage if you recall i shared those two defining moments to, to share with people how I designed these two frameworks. And if you want to know, if you want to listen to that, head over to uh, our YouTube channel, A Higher Branch, and you'll find uh, my talk on there and, um, and my interview with David Goggins, uh, who was really touched by those yep. defining moments. But my first defining moment pretty much uh, led me to design what I call the eight areas of life. And in my book, A Higher Branch, uh, I talk about the eight trees of life. And every, every one of these trees has branches that symbolize something. But what, what the message in a higher branch is that if you neglect any one of these trees of life, you know, by watering them, now how do you water them? Like giving, them, giving it your attention, giving it your time, giving it your energy, um, then it will stop growing. Mm. That, you know, metaphorically, that tree will stop growing. And if you keep neglecting it, it will stop bearing fruit. So for example, if you uh, neglect your family, uh, now I know, I know a lot of uh, executives will say, look, I don't neglect my family, but they're spending 80% of their time yeah. at work. Now, they, it's all relative. So someone who just uh, connects with their kids for five, 10 minutes a day think that they're not really neglecting their family. But what we've learned now with these uh, you know, pandemic restrictions, which is forcing us to spend a lot more time with family, we're starting to realize, hey, this is actually more normal. What, how yep. I was living before was not normal. Yep. But anyway, I, I digress. So if you neglect any one of these eight areas of life, and I'll list them. Number one is your health. That's, if you like, the tree in the middle. And that tree is connected above the ground and below the surface. Above the ground, the tree is big and beautiful and it supports seven other areas or the seven other trees uh, in your garden of happiness, if you like. And it supports those trees. It's like a tree in the middle and its branches are supporting these other seven. And without this tree in the middle, the other seven trees would just fall, right? Um, from the winds of change that inevitably blow all our way. But 
So your health is in the middle, your tree of health. Then there are seven other trees of life and they each fill a fundamental human need. The second tree of life, and I'm ranking these in the order of priority, is your tree of love. And it's because that as humans, we all have a fundamental human need for intimacy and affection, both physical and emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the third era of tree of life is the tree of family. And that fills the fundamental human need for unconditional love and support. We each need to feel that we are loved unconditionally because that gives us the permission to fail, gives us the permission to try things. And if we do fail, we have our family there. It's like a safety net for our heart. And that makes us fearless. If you notice most, uh, and you're an athlete, right? Most athletes have their, you know, uh, their family in the crowd watching. Support, yep. Why is that? It's for support. It's for unconditional love. It's not to cheer them on. That's That's not what they're thinking. It's because... Hey, I have someone that loves me whether I succeed, whether I win or lose, whether I succeed or fail. And that's a very powerful, fundamental human need. The fourth uh, fundamental human need or the fourth tree of life is a tree of work. And that fills a fundamental human need for fulfillment. Fulfillment, when you have a job that you choose to love, and there's a distinction between loving what you do and doing what you love. I prefer to love what I do. Um, that gives you purpose. It's, it gives you meaning, gives you something to wake up to every morning. And that's why you'll find, uh, if you look at history and why humans are so obsessed with avoiding depressions and unemployment, because when there is a lack of purpose, mm. humans, we lose our way. Yep. And for some of us, that we lose our way so much that we start acting out of character and doing things out of character. And that, that's inevitably when crime goes up. Yes. The next tree of life, and one of my favorites, is the tree of friendship. And, yeah. and that fills a fundamental human need for belonging. We have a fundamental human need to belong to a tribe. And that is hardwired as well in our DNA because when we are isolated, when we rather positively, when we are belong to a tribe, we feel secure. We feel that uh, we, our survival is protected. And because traditionally, for thousands of years, we all hunted and gathered and lived together and we each had a different task to do. And by performing that task, we survived. So banishment from that tribe meant death. So whenever we isolate ourselves and we, we neglect our friendships, we are, we are destroying that human need for belonging. And yep. the mind then sends a message to the cells that you are perishing. And it's a, then we go into a state of fight or flight. And that's why you would have heard Dr. Guy Winchop many times on our podcast mention the fact that loneliness and isolation is worse for you than drinking, smoking, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And research demonstrates that. So that's why, you know, I say it's my favorite uh, because uh, we all want a deep sense of belonging and which is why we launched you know, our annual Upgrade Your Life event Mm. because we could do what we do online, right? But when we come together, break the bread together, hug, and I know these things are taboo now and prohibited, which is another story altogether because I I really am not buying into the fear and the social distancing, you know, why they're calling it social distancing instead of physical distancing is another thing altogether. (laughs) But I, I just don't like where the world is heading at the moment because it's destroying. And that's why most people uh, you know, are anxious at the moment because they don't feel like that they're belonging. They're, connected. they're not connecting. Yeah. You know, they're not connected. Luckily, we do have technology which allows us to do this. But it's still not the same as the real thing because, as you know, and I think I learned this from your book, Mark, is that there's an energy transference. There's an invisible force that connects us. And tree of friendship is so important for that, us to build those connections and that energy transference. Mm. The next tree of life is a tree of learning. And that fills a fundamental human need for growth. Without learning, we cannot grow. And the best way to learn is through seeing, listening, connecting with others. Most people think that it's by reading books. Yeah. And I can tell you it's not. That's secondary. I'm, I'm an avid reader of books instead of, in fact, listener of, book, of books and podcasts. 
But the best way to learn is to actually connect with others and listen to other people's wisdom. Mm. Uh, no one has, you know, intellectual property over every idea on this planet. I've learned yes. things, you know, from, you know, great authors and speakers, and I've learned things from junior people that have started on my firm. Yeah, I've learned even little kids. Life. Yeah, little kids are great teachers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so learning is, you know, the, the sixth element. The seventh tree of life is a tree of wealth. Mm. And that, to me, represents the fundamental human need for freedom. Wealth uh, and how you define your wealth allows you to live a life on your own terms. And when I say wealth, I don't mean just money. Yeah. Money is important because we live in an era where uh, value is measured by the transfer of money. Uh, but the, the first step to your uh, wealth is to define it and say, well, mm. am I, you know, I always say the wise get wealthier and the rich get richer, but I'd yes. rather be the wealthier. And this is why the framework I'm talking to you about, the eight areas of life, and the metaphorically how they're in a circle and they lean on each other because there's a symbiotic relationship between them. Because if you ask me, well, how do I define my wealth? I define it by my life and the other seven other areas. It's, you know, my uh, having energy, having intimacy, having uh, a sense of belonging to a tribe, having fulfillment, having unconditional love and support. I'm mentioning the other, you know, trees mm. of life. So if you define your wealth by those areas, you look back and notice that, they don't cost money. Yeah. So if you and I sit to enjoy a meal together, mm. you know, it makes no difference whether we're sitting on the ground on a $20 chair from Ikea or on a $2,000 designer chair. It makes no difference whether we go to a restaurant or whether you and I go to the farmer's market, buy a few things, cook together, have a chat and sit down and eat it. One costs $200, the other one costs $20. Yes. So, you can live a wealthy life without reliance on money. Mm. But ironically, my experience is that when you live a holistic life in the all eight areas, ironically, you end up making the most money. So I was recently invited to talk to lawyers at the Law Society, uh, Law Society of New South Wales, and they asked me um, to talk to lawyers about how to go from a practitioner to an entrepreneur. Yes. Right. So the difference is a practitioner, you have to be there to work, to make money. An entrepreneur makes money whether they're there or not because yes. they set up a business with systems, with staff that are empowered who know what they do. And they expected me to get up and talk about automation, you know, yeah. <laughs> digital, <laughs> because we've done some amazing things you know, in, our, in our law firm with um, digital transformation, robotics, AI. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I, I think I spent 45 minutes of my 60 minutes talking about the importance of living a holistic life in all eight areas and, yes. and how to do that more importantly. Yeah. You know, yeah. as you know, my first framework is what you need to focus on in life and that's holistic living in the eight areas. But the second is how do you climb higher in each of them and yeah. have a discussion for another time. Well, it's, well, to jump in there, I mean, that's, that's what fascinates me and this is what I want to dig into because you've actually hit the nail on the head and I just want to before I get into it um, the eighth area is charity which just so it rounds off the eight areas for everyone listening but this this talk to the lawyers is is perfect because it's and it's it's representative of our business world you know in the business world lawyers particularly but you know bankers and it's the work and the money and the finance and the KPIs and the sales it's like 95% of the focus, but what you're saying, and I believe this is what you do when you go and do talks to lawyers groups or wellness groups, is that they're missing seven possibly of the other areas. Unless we nourish all eight areas, we can't actually even be truly successful in business. Can you sort of walk us through the framework and how you view workplace wellness today do they do more harm than good because they're so narrow um and what do we sort of need to improve the whole workplace wellness scenario for businesses so fundamentally uh, this is the issue i have with the, a wellness program and this is the same mistake we we uh, had i i've been in business since 1995 and in 1998 we launched our wellness program i mean we didn't even call it a wellness program we didn't put a label on it back then but we had a masseuse, we, had, uh, we built a gym internally, 
Um, we had a room for people that want to nap and we then dropped in some meditation and some yoga. And uh, Because back then, what I quickly realized was that I noticed that the most successful people with the highest productivity and the best results were not the smartest. Mm. Now, that absolutely blew me away because I went to school thinking, you know, people with the highest ATAR, it wasn't called an ATAR back then, but I'll tell you what it was. <laughs> You'll know my age. Um, and uh, incidentally, Carl says that, what did uh, Carl Honore says? The number one thing that people most yeah. like out of their age. <laughs> yeah, they Google it. <laughs> so what I realized, it was the most energetic. The, mm. most pe the people with the highest energy were the most enthusiastic mm. and they could get something done that would normally take someone who's having an average day, say 20 minutes, they'd get it done in say 13 minutes. Yes. And uh, so I quickly noticed that, you know, my supposed favorites with the highest, you know, that graduated with honors, ducks and all this. So why is that person not performing? Right. Mm. And this other person is just like average marks, average person. But, and then I started connecting the dots. That person goes out, and trains in the morning. Yeah. I started talking to them. Oh, what do you do in the morning? Oh, I train, I do some meditation, you know? Yeah. And the other person, oh, I eat, you know, live foods. And then that's when my interest was tweaked back then because I was a hardcore lawyer, entrepreneur, productivity. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I started noticing this thing. So at first it was out of self-interest thinking, well, how can I get my team to perform better? And, you know, long story short, I'd started actually mentoring each one individually. And a funny thing happens, and it's a little bit off point, but when you start connecting with people at a personal level, and for me, business is personal. Yeah. Anyone that says business is not personal does not have a successful business because you need to make it personal to have empathy for the customer. And once you have empathy for the customer, you can design all your processes, all your systems around that with with empathy and the systems and the processes will make sense. But what I started realizing is the more, the closer I got to my staff, I started actually having a deep sense of care and responsibility. So yep. what drove me in business was to make sure that this person remained in a job. Yes. But then what I, I started thinking, well, I don't want them to just to remain in a job and neglect their family, ne neglect their health. You know, I had, I, I had this young lady with us at the time who would be working to long hours, like incredible hours. And then, you know, uh, one month we said to her, look, you need to take some time off. Anyway, while she was away on holiday, we had a look at her files and they were in an absolute mess. Mm. But this is a person that was working the longest hours out of mm. everyone. And, you know, I forced her to take a holiday because she would... Be, she would start, this is a long time ago, so I'm not giving away anything. This is back in the 90s. And uh, she would, uh, you know, burst out into tears after talking to uh, another lawyer on the phone if she was pushed or prodded about something. And, and I saw a, how a person's life can unravel. And yeah. this is a brilliant, smart person, great degree, and then they just deteriorated from long hours. So it's a false economy. So the more you neglect the eight areas of life and focus on just one area, then your energy, every time you, you remember I said your tree of health is in the middle, that represents your life force. Every time, so your true source of energy is not diet, exercise, sleep, right? Your yes. true source of energy is mental and emotional. And those mental and emotional energies are fed back to your life force underneath the surface. So the tree of health in the middle might feed you know, you, your physical energy above the surface, but beneath the surface, ironically, your tree of health gets its nourishment from the seven other areas. Mm. So if you neglect uh, your family life, when I say neglect, I mean consciously, you're not consciously living, you know, uh, in those, eight, uh, uh, those seven other areas that dance in a circle around your tree of health. If you neglect your family, you neglect your partner, you, you neglect your... Um, your, your friends, your learning, your charity. You know, you mentioned the eight to round it off was charity, but that, that fills a fundamental human need for contribution. Yeah. Um, if you neglect, every time you neglect one of these areas, you are disconnecting 
the energy beneath the surface to your tree of health. Yes. And every time you disconnect one and the other, and I'm saying this because I have coached after the global financial crisis, I took six months off work and I started coaching um, uh, senior executives who were burnt out. And uh, these people uh, were referred to me because they said, oh, I believe you're a lawyer that talks about wellness, you know, and what can you, what can you do? And I simply, simply, all I did is connected them back to their life force and say, you've neglected these other areas, which means that your physical energy does not have a reason to manifest itself. You need yeah. to give it that reason to manifest itself. And your sole source of energy cannot come from just work. But they all say the same thing. Oh, but Sam, I have a plan. The plan is to pay off the mortgage, <laughs> then work less hours. But what often happens over two or three decades, they've paid off the mortgage. Then they look back and say, my relationship with my partner, yeah. my husband or wife is crap or non-existent or they've gotten divorced or they're separated. My, I have kids that don't talk to me. I don't yeah. have any real friends because I've lost the art of uh, having fun. I don't know yes. how to be charming right, anymore in a social setting. I'm in fact socially awkward. So uh, it was a wake up call, right? Yes. It was a wake up call. So for me, I went running back to you know, the metaphorical uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, table to redo what our wellness program looks like. So fabulous. Uh, and, and that's when I then realized that um, wellness programs that companies were implementing had it all wrong if anything were more damaging mm. because uh, they thought that they could make people well by uh, giving them meditation, yoga and fruit bowls and flute yeah. shots and, uh, yeah. you know, visiting practitioners, giving information sessions. Now I'm not saying those things are bad. They're good, but they are secondary. Yes. Absolutely secondary. The, the, what makes people well in the workplace is wellness at home. Mm. If they are neglecting the eight areas of their life and just focusing on one of those areas and that is work. And, and when I say neglect, most people think, well, oh, you know, I, I don't really neglect that. When I say neglect, I mean you are not focusing just as relentlessly on those seven other areas as you do the work area. Yes. Right. If you can look at me and if you're listening to me now and say to me, hand on heart, Sam, I spend just about the same amount of time on my relationship as I do on my work. Mm. Sorry, correction, not the same amount of time, the same amount of energy. Energy, yeah. Right. Yeah. On uh, my family, on my kids, on my friendships, on learning, on waking up every day, on you know, meditating, on doing yoga, on uh, running on whatever it is that I can do on, on uh, having a sense of charity and, and contribution, then, you know, then yeah. I can say, yes, you're not neglecting them. <laughs> right? And I say this from experience because at any one point in time in my life, yeah. I have neglected it. And I'll say, well, I'm actually spending a lot more of my energy and attention bandwidth on this particular project than that. The difference is, is I know how to get back on track. I have this framework, so I return to it. And I, I, I know how to return to it because of my journaling technique. And perhaps we'll cover that some other time. Because that's no, how let's take, do it now. Oh, I, that's how I take stock. You know, I take, in fact, I've, um, I've got my... The, I think the practical ways, because as you're talking, I'm the same. I'm laughing to myself because I'm, I do the same things. You know, I, I neglect things and... And I find myself, I'm a bit down or my energy's lower or I'm stressed. And it's exactly what you're saying. And I'm, I'm sort of half laughing and I'm half trying to take mental notes that, hey, I've got to <laughs> do this after I... So I've got so many questions. But I think what, what people always get stuck on are the practical... I'm sure everyone listening to you right now is just their minds going, yes, this is absolutely... I've neglected. So what do people do? They realized that like the woman at work, which is why bosses are so powerful like you to say, it's actually better for them to say, go and have the rest of the afternoon off and spend time with your kids or look after your sick child or rather than keep forcing them to reach the sales targets or whatever. So yeah, journaling, what are the practical, how do we get back on track when we know we've got off track? Okay, so I'll 
I actually got a, uh, I left my um, uh, journal in my bag over there and I put this right next to me because I thought I'll take some notes just in case you raise something I wanted to uh, explain earlier. But this is what my journal looks like. And you can just have your own blank journal, right? You don't yeah. need the high branch journal. Uh, although it is very pretty with the yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, and so the left page is for your mind. The right page is for your heart. Ah, left nice. is for um, your thoughts. Right is for your feelings. So the left is future focused. So you'll notice the eight areas of life in the top there. So what my journal looks like is every day when I, uh, so my first hour of the day, I will exercise. I will meditate and I will journal. Mm. Okay. And I do the same thing at the end of the day. So it's 20 minutes each. It's a daily ritual. And if I don't do it, I always pay the price. Yeah. So, uh, because a lot of people say, well, I don't have time, Sam, you know, I've got three kids. I've, and this is the trap we all fall into. It's not about the time you spend on something. It's about your effectiveness. And yes. You don't have to do 20 minutes of exercise, 20 minutes of meditation, 20 minutes of journaling. That's an hour. You can do five minutes of each or you can do 10 minutes of each. Yeah. Right. And that's, uh, that's what, what I do on days that I know I have a heavy schedule. But the main thing is to do it. So out of those three uh, morning rituals, the, the most important for me is journaling because that's when I sit down and say, okay, in the area of health, Right. So remember, that's the action page, right? Yes. For the mind. And that's future focus. This is what I'm going to write down, what I'm going to do in the eight areas of life for the day. Mm -hmm. So it's a list of goals and a list of actions. So the, and, and it's also a visual. So during my meditation and during my journaling, I'm actually visualizing how I'm going to work out Tree of Health, how I'm going to spend time with my wife that night. Uh, cooking together or reading together, right? Mm. It's a visual. So in my meditation, I literally sit there and visualize everything that I'm going to do on in that day in the eight areas of life, right? Beautiful. And then I and then I write and then when I come out of the meditation, that's why I write in my journal because the the heart brings passion to the surface and then your mind starts connecting the dots through the mind's reticular activation system, hmm. uh, which then starts seeking out the, the things you need to do. And that comes after the meditation and my journaling. So I wrote every, write everything down. Most people will have a diary like that doesn't look like this and it will be filled with everything, <laughs> work, finances, paying bills. Yeah. That's not where life is lived. That yeah. is not the definition of life. That, that's, uh, that's the subconscious life. That's an yes. unconscious life. That's just reacting. This puts you in a proactive state of mind because you're in control of your day. You're in conscious control. Mm. Um, that's why, you know, at the uh, Upgrade Your Life, I talk, my second framework is a circle of conscious living. Yes. I believe it's when we are in conscious control of our thoughts and feelings that we are truly alive. There is a difference between, you know, um, you know, breathing and being alive and, yeah. and living, right? Um, yeah. So, so that's, uh, uh, and, and that's okay. You aim for progress, not perfection. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you lose your way sometimes, as I do. So uh, on the days that I've put something down and I do a stock take at, at the end of the day and I do a yeah. stock take at the end of, uh, on Sunday night. Sunday nights as well, I'll go back into my journal and have a look at what I've written for the whole week. And then from that, you can't lie because yeah. yourself. You're looking at it and say, I've done nothing. In, mm. you know, with exercise. <laughs> I've, I've done nothing in the tree of friendship or I haven't done anything in the tree of learning. Mm. And then you know that, hey, my life force is going to diminish. I'm disconnecting yeah. my life force because I'm not feeling one of those fundamental human needs, mm. those eight essential human needs that I mentioned. So, so how does the right-hand side work, the reflection side? Okay, this is the important one because, as I said, the left is for the mind and your thoughts, but then the feelings, and that is whatever happens in the day is not going to go your way 100% of the time. Mm. You're going to be, uh, you're gonna, uh, be dealt with failures, rejections, 
something's gonna uh, mess up your priorities. So you need to be able to sit and process your feelings because we, we build up all these feelings throughout the day. And we're in constant distraction mode that we don't realize that anxiety is just bubbling under the surface or something that's irritating us. Uh, it could have been someone that somebody said or someone that, you know, cut the line and, yeah. and the, the person, the barista, you know, took their order instead of yours, whatever it is. Or it could be that you, you, you quit on your exercise halfway through uh, because you weren't in the right mental state or you got injured, whatever it is, or you initiate an intimacy with your partner and she rejected, <laughs> rejected you, right? Yeah. Whatever it is, whatever it is, this is part of being human. And most people's anxieties live in the gap between, you know, their idea of a perfect day, which is never going to happen, right? Yeah. Never going to happen. But if you process it, that's mm. my idea of perfection. Perfection is is stepping into your vulnerabilities, is stepping into your feelings. I read somewhere once a beautiful quote that says, you need to feel to heal. Yeah. And so for me, reflection is I sit down and that's why it's not lined. That's why mm. it allows you to doodle, right? Doodle and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Beautiful. and, you know, draw love hearts or what have you or, or sad faces and uh, or icons that, you know. So the, for me, reflections, what happened in the day that I need to process? And there are two beautiful things that I do there. And that is I practice acceptance mm. and I practice gratitude. I was just so butt in. I was just thinking gratitude the last minute. And what I want you to talk to everyone about is your take on gratitude because I love it. You know, everyone talks about gratitude today and they get up in the morning and they write their three things they're grateful for, which are almost the same as they were yesterday. But you talk about situational gratitude. Can you explain that? and how we can sort of change the way we view gratitude so it's even more powerful. Absolutely. So if you sit down at the end of the day and spend 10 minutes writing the things that you're grateful for, powerful, right? But 10 minutes in the day represents 1% of your day if you are spending 16 waking hours. Hmm. My big question to you if you're listening to this at the moment is, what are you thinking and feeling in the other 99% of the day? 1% cannot drown out 99%. If you are walking around focusing on what you don't have, taking what you have for granted, you know, being ungrateful, unthankful, people are not consciously ungrateful or unthankful. It's, it's mm. subconscious. They just, there's something there right in front of them that they should be grateful for, but they miss that opportunity. So, for me, I call it situational gratitude. It's the label I put on it, but it's the, it's the technique that I learned from my grandmother, Rose. I grew up in a little village at the base of Mount Lebanon. It was like 600 people in this village, right? And uh, for three months in the year, summer holidays, my parents would drop us off to the village. We lived in Beirut. And I'd spend you know, three months as a little boy following my grandmother around, her, <laughs> you know, picking olives, picking figs, um, you know, picking herbs, watching her cook, make, watching her make her mountain bread, uh, you know, milking uh, the goats. Um, and so, and I had one of these grandmothers that would just verbalize everything that was in her mind. And all she did was basically, you know, it's like, thank the sun for, yeah. <laughs> you know, for the ripening of this fig tree. Did you know, Samuel, that without this sun, these figs cannot ripen. Yeah. Uh, Taste these beautiful cheese and spinach pies, you know, that our neighbor made with her beautiful hands. Isn't she such a beautiful person? I'm so mm. grateful for her. You know, her eyesight's better than mine and she does it, you know. Yeah. I walked around just hearing this stuff. So, look, for me, it just became a habit. But I have coached people to sow the same habit. And it, it starts, as I said, what you do in the morning. Yep. with your journaling, you know, meditation and exercise and the last thing at night. And if your journaling puts you in conscious control of the first hour and the last hour, but what funny thing happens is over time, when you bookend your day with that first hour and the last hour, is they start creeping into your consciousness and suddenly it becomes your 16 hours. Yes. Suddenly you're walking around waiting in line instead of complaining about the length of the line you're saying, well, I'm out in the sunshine, I'm out getting mm. fresh air and 
And so I literally, when I'm, you know, to use that um, as, you know, the cup of coffee, right, uh, as an example, uh, you can, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there waiting for it, being grateful that I didn't have to pick the beans, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grind the beans, doing yeah. all those things. I'm grateful. So I walk into my office here. And as I'm walking through, people don't know this because we never know what's going on in other people's minds. We have thousands and thousands of thoughts a day in a split second. But I'm walking through, so I'm so grateful that my yes. staff are happy and healthy. I'm so grateful that we have an air-conditioned office. I'm so grateful we live you know, in a country that is really looked after its people during this, this time of uncertainty. Like You can walk around and if you have this sense of gratitude, I promise you, I promise you, you will become invincible emotionally. Yep. Right? Anything can happen to you and will. Rejection, failures, whatever it is, uh, you know, injuries, pain. But if you walk around with that sense of gratitude, you can, you know, you can look at life and say, bring it on. Love it. Love it. So, so many things going through my head. But um, to what I want to just come back to is that beautiful framework to and this applies to everyone you know whether they're working in a company or not but for staff I'm always so interested because I've gone through the same thing you know 20 years ago we both know that it was all about the fruit packet afternoon tea and the masseur would come in and the 15 minute yoga class but what you're saying is we have to get deeper and if people aren't happy in all eight areas there's nothing we can do in the workplace that's going to change it so what what does staff first question what does staff really want and what can companies do to actually give them that because i'm i'm assuming and i know a bit of it but a lot of the research suggests that you know the typical workplace wellness programs don't work that effectively because they're not treating what you're suggesting so what do staff really want and how do companies give them that well my, my experience is that uh, and if everyone was truly honest, they would know this, right? And as soon as I call it out, everyone's going to start nodding. What 80% of your staff really want, whether you employ, you know, 10 staff, 15 staff, 1,500 or 5,000 or 50,000, right? The, the owners of the business and your senior executives who treat the business as their own have slightly different um, uh, motivations, but 80% of your staff want two things. They want more money. Yep. They want to be paid more money. Mm -hmm. And secondly, they want more time for their personal life. Yep. And if you can give them those two things that I promise you, you will build the best uh, business on the planet. <laughs> and I've experienced this because in 2015, we pivoted. And this is when we ch completely changed our approach to wellness. We didn't drop all the other things, but we, we started acknowledging that we need to give people more time at home so they can focus on the eight areas. And the only way you could do that is to be more efficient mm. as, as a, a company because you cannot give people more time and more money without going broke, right? Mm. But most you know, Australian companies are so inefficient they're not investing in new technologies that can be efficient. In fact, some of them are saying, oh, we don't want to invest in robotics and AI because it's going to take away jobs from our staff. Yep. Now, when you give your people menial tasks that can be performed by a bot, then you are treating them like robots and it mm. becomes a soul-destroying job. So you don't want that either. So the first thing I want to introduce people to is yeah, you've heard of the responsible, uh, the RSA, Responsible Service of Alcohol. Yep. Yeah? Yep. Uh, now, you as a footballer would know that if a footballer uh, gets concussed on a field, yes. right, they have to be taken <laughs> off the field, right? I want to introduce, uh, and I'm lobbying the government. You're going somewhere else with the footballer analogy with drinking too much, <laughs> getting, <laughs> getting concussed, not on the football field, but anyway. <laughs> Another story. Yeah. Um, but I want people to think of, and I want the governments, and if anyone who's listening to this has any contact in the government, any government department, is we need to introduce the concept of responsible service of workload, or RSW as I call it. Beautiful. Because there are companies at the moment 
who are uh, introducing wellness programs in the workplace. Now, there are some companies that say, oh, we do it because we care for our staff. Realistically, uh, people in HR and people in people op operations will introduce a wellness programs because they want their people to like them, right? Yeah. Every boss wants their staff to like them. I guarantee it because it's lonely yeah. at the top and you want your staff to like you. And they think a wellness program will do that. But most of them say, well, a wellness program is going to boost productivity, make us more profitable because, as I said earlier, energetic people are more productive people. They're happier people. They have less time off work, right? They're more engaged. They're more engaged yes. in. And that much is definite. But here's the thing. Most companies have implemented a wellness program for the sole purpose of keeping their people longer, working longer hours. Mm. To say, well, we know we're working you long hours, but you have the meditation room, you got yeah. the you know, cold-pressed juices, we've got the you know, visiting naturopath who's going to talk to you about gut health and emotional resilience. You've now, got no time to see any of them because <laughs> you're working so long. <laughs> right. Now, I mean, what the, what the right? Yeah. So the, your wellness program isn't keeping people longer at work. So in my experience as an entrepreneur, at, you know, I've hired over 5,000 people over the last 27 years. You know, we've got our payroll records. When I look back, I thought, geez, that's a lot of people we've yeah. hired. And I've, I can tell you, I've been in the most of these interviews. And um, so what people want, right, is more time at home so they can get the four S's. Mm. Okay. And, uh, and, and obviously to live a, a holistic life. But uh, sorry, just going back a step. So, you know, uh, companies that do that, keeping their their people working longer hours, I think, I think that's socially irresponsible. Just like, but I, I know some CEOs will say, well, oh, that person's ambitious. They want to work till midnight. Look, I'm in the legal profession. I know some law firms where people are like sleeping on their, you know, yeah. boardrooms, right? Because they're working on a case and all this. But that's not responsible. And most CEOs will say, well, they're ambitious and we don't want to stop ambition. Mm. Here's the thing. I go back to that analogy of the concussed footballer. What does a concussed footballer do when on their sideline? They want to get back on yeah. there, right? They've lost the ability to make a good decision. Likewise, with someone that's worked longer hours, they become obsessive about it. And then they, they've lost the ability to make that decision. They're always thinking one more email, one more yeah. document, one more phone call. And then suddenly... They're going home, they're eating late. They're not connecting with their family. Then because they're eating late, they're getting artificial light at night, they have a poor quality sleep. Uh, their deep sleep is non-existent. As you know, we need you know, one, one and a half hours of deep sleep. We need one and a half to two hours of REM sleep. Why? Because the next day for us to be cognitively sharper, right? we need uh, to fill that tank. We need to... You know, it's like a US, uh, part of our brain's like a USB drive. If it's filled mm. and we don't empty it, we don't transfer it to our frontal cortex, then the next day we're in a meeting and we're not absorbing. We're foggy. We're trying to perform a task. Now we're in a negative loop. Now we have to work longer hours to meet the KPIs and it's yeah. taking us longer to perform those tasks. So it's not only irresponsible, socially irresponsible, it's bad business it's, mm. it's, and it's a short-term uh, look at business. If you take a long-term view and give more people uh, time at home, more deep sleep, more socializing, going back to the four S's that I talk about with my staff internally, sunshine, socializing, sleep, and sex. And yes, yep. sex. when I say sex there, because- Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> well, usually in that order though because and this is i'm glad you raised that because we need four to five hours to wind down now there is an alarming statistic that dr guy winch shared with me corroborated by dr jen man she said 20 percent of couples are having sex less than 10 times a year wow right and and i i reckon it's much higher than that because people mm. won't admit to it because you need the sunshine, yep. gut health. I mean, I learned that from reading your book, right? Yep. It's your circadian rhythm is more important for your gut health than prebiotics and probiotics. And you need sunshine for production of melatonin. 
which is responsible for energy during the day and inducing sleep at night. So you need, you need that sunshine. You need the socialising because the socialising is the lubricant, right, for human connection. And after socialising comes, you know, I, I, I say sex, it sounds provocative because it's an S and it's easier to say four. <laughs> but we're talking about intimacy. I'm not just talking yeah. about physical, but sitting, you know, hugging each other, even if you're watching TV, but reading a book, giving each other a massage, having a bath, talking. Yeah. And if it leads to physical intimacy, then even better. But what happens after physical and emotional intimacy? Better sleep. Yes. So that order is important. Sunshine, socializing, you know, uh, intimacy and sleep. And this is something, I mean, th this is our wellness program in a nutshell out there, right? The moment we did that, we went from number four in our industry to number one. And we've been at number one for the last two years. Our digital innovations off the charts. Our productivity is off the charts. Our sick leave is at all time lows. Now, for a company of 300 people, it would be very rare for me to see more than four or five people on that list of uh, people every day when I see the report. Now, this is, these figures are unheard of, but it starts with that courage to force people to go out and eat their lunch at, uh, outside in the sunshine. Yeah. So for, that, for us, it's compulsory. You need to go out. So it's <laughs> not it. about working your people to the bone and squeezing every bit of productivity out of them because you're chasing a short-term profit goal. And this is the advantage of someone who owns their own business. They take more of a long-term view. Yeah. Whereas, and I'll call it out. Whereas some managers, they just want to be measured by their short-term goals. Oh, look what I've achieved. Now, can I get my bonus? Yeah but they're not often there in two years time or three years time or five years time or let alone 10 years time because it takes that long to build up the emotional, physical, and mental resilience of your people. But when it does, I promise you that the, your profit will climb higher mm. as, as, their, as their physical will and, and emotional well-being climbs higher. Hmm. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So I'm just sensing that people have probably had their brains already exploding with ideas. So to bring it home, I guess, two, two areas for, for individuals, what can they do from to take away now? Is it one coming to me and then I've got to get one myself is a journal. Um, is it reading your book? What's the best way for individuals to get more information on what you've been talking about? And secondly, what about companies you know if there's senior execs or senior managers listening that want to implement some of this is it getting you to come in and talking to their executive team or their whole staff or is it you know coming to upgrade your life event at the end of the year or what uh i'm, I'm always happy sharing our what we do culturally internally and what we do for our staff with other uh, executives uh, i don't need to talk to their people although i'm happy to I've done some talks for some really big companies since I first spoke about this. I was on stage at the Workplace Wellness Summit last year. It was the first summit of its kind held in Australia. And uh, Fed Income, I was the only person who was not a wellness consultant trying, selling anything. And I was basically selling more stuff <laughs> than sunshine. And after I got off stage, we had all these roundtables. And at my round table, I had rows and rows and rows of people from people operations, HR, CEOs. And at one stage, I turned around and it was a bit embarrassing because there were some yeah. brilliant speakers and their tables were almost empty. So it was the <laughs> message that was resonating with, with uh, uh, you know, uh, senior executives who were thinking, how do I get my staff to engage? You know, do I sign up to this fruit bowl box and do I get meditation and yoga and what what is it why why are we doing this yeah um and uh, so yeah i'm happy to talk to them I, I love sharing ideas because i love to lift the average success mm. cannot be enjoyed when you see one company successful or one person successful and everyone else drowning which is why we're all helping each other now during this coronavirus outbreak right mm. you know all of us are you know, are restricting ourselves in our homes because we're trying to save, you know, the 0.2% of people that can die from this. Yeah. That's what, you know, for me that, you know, the tree of charities are all about contribution. So if you're listening and you want to know tips, please reach out to me. You can visit www.ahigherbranch.com and send the message from there and my team will get that uh, email uh, to me. Now, 
what can a person do individually? I think having a journal is, honestly, it's the most important relationship you will have with anyone, and that is yourself. Mm. You don't have a good relationship with yourself if you're not living consciously by having writing these things down, then you, you are really just flying blind. You're, you're meandering you know, on the ocean without a clear direction. It's like you're sailing without the sails up. And I, I know this because we all lose our way sometimes. But when you have a framework in which to get back on track, it's like the athletes, right? They, they like you he joked earlier, Mark, you know, athletes are you know, renowned for having a good drink, right? But they know how to get back on track, right? Like, uh, you know, Usain Bolt ate, ate chicken McNuggets three hours before he's, he broke the world record, right? But he knows how to mental, get himself in that mental state minutes before the race. Yeah. Right? He visualized, he used not just his physical powers, but mental, emotional, and spiritual, you know, deep sense of faith. So your journaling is important. Now, you might have your own journaling technique. I'm not you know, promoting mine. I share my journaling technique. Yeah. And yes, you can also purchase my book, A Higher Branch. In chapter 12 of, the, of that book, I talk about the journaling technique. Now, mm-hmm. When I say I talk about it, this book is a fable. I actually originally wrote the book in 1999, but many years later, when I went to release it, I realized that so many other gurus out there like Tony Robbins and what have you had written all this stuff and I'd read their books thinking, oh, it's too late. Like, it's already out there because wisdom is out there. It's whoever yeah. commits it to paper, right? And then I went and rewrote it as a fable, as a series. It's a story about yeah. a little boy who gets lost. And so in chapter 12, the old man, you know, is sharing with young Tom the uh, yeah. how to journal, and you can connect the dots and see how it's done. You can also buy this journal, you know, the Higher Branch Journal, on our website, ahigherbranch.com. And again, I'm sharing this with you, complete with complete humility. I don't make money from selling no. books. I make a, a good living at my yeah. day job. Simply produce these, like you do, Mark, is to share this information, to make, uh, you know, to help. The, the next person and why because the next person will help the next person and that's the sort of world that i want my kids to grow up in yeah beautiful sam i uh, can't thank you enough um i'm sure everyone who's listened has got so much out of it um again that website for everyone a higherbranch.com and just one thing i'd like to finish on is just you know you spoke about community and i think that's something so many of us are yearning for more and more and what you do not only within your own company but this upgrade your life event which as i said i've spoken to my audience four or five times on previous podcasts um, is exactly that it's about not only learning and hearing tremendous speakers but just the sense of community so anyone listening um you'll find out about it on the website, a higher branch, but upgrade your life. It's run every January. Um, amazing speakers, an amazing community. And it's just more than just more than just what you hear. It's about those deep connections. And that's what you're bringing, Sam. It's like people have these ideas to do these events and often they're very business events. We always joke, you know, it's either a health conference or a business conference, but you do. And at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, um, people can see just the top of the eight branches of life. Um, so if you, yeah, there we go. I think that's a beautiful way to finish that. Um, the real message is if we want to live a truly fulfilling, happy, healthy life, we have to do all eight areas of life, not just one. That's what upgrade your life does. That's what you do, Sam. And uh, yeah, I really encourage everyone to get on the website and uh, yeah, either get the journal or get the book or, Anything else? Video now as well. Your and video watch the video. Has just come out. Mark's video uh, has just come out and it'll be on our YouTube channel in the next few days. It was a, uh, a ripper of a, a talk. <laughs> now, I'm looking forward to seeing it because I missed, uh, I think, 25 minutes of it, uh-huh. the back end uh, of it because I had to record a podcast with one of the other speakers off stage. But also, yeah. we have already sold 161 tickets to Upgrade Your Life 2021. Fantastic. Incredible. And at this stage, we are pressing ahead with Upgrade Your Life 2021. And it's, a, it's an exciting new format. Uh, I can't wait uh, for that time to come around again. Yeah, that's exciting. And uh, for those that haven't been, it's, you know, we're talking people like David Goggins, um, Jim Quick, Di 
Dr. Guy Winch, who I've spoken about, Dr. Jen Mann. So it's a very international flavor and uh, they all buy into this whole process of a holistic living. So uh, looking forward to it, Sam. Thanks again. And uh, we'll catch Cheers. up soon, buddy. Cheers. Thanks, Mark. And have a great day. Beautiful. Namaste, brother. Namaste, <laughs> brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things a higher branch and with the latest information from our incredible faculty of members and contributors, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to watch things, then head on over to our YouTube channel by the same name, a higher branch, and subscribe to that also. And if you want to go onto our mail list where you will receive even more special premieres and some really special offerings, head on over over to ahigherbranch.com and sign up to our mail list where you will receive a free copy of my ebook Guide to Greatness but you will also be on the mail list to be the first to receive a copy of my next book The Circle of Conscious Living which is due out later this year anyway thank you again for listening and I hope to be with you next time <laughs>